I'm Corey. And I'm Audrey. Welcome to And the Award Goes To. Each episode, we'll discuss all things Academy Awards. From the big winners, the drama, the glitz, the glam, and everything in between. Without further ado, we present And the Award Goes To. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of And the Award Goes To. I am Corey. And I'm Audrey. Yes, you are. It's so nice to see you. It's good to see you too. We're we're drinking tonight. We are drinking tonight. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a nice Chianti. Just kidding. I'm not. I'm drinking red wine out of a box. So <laughs> you are a box wine, a box of wine connoisseur. You know that? It's just it's it's thrifty, so that's what I go for. Hey, nothing wrong with a good bargain. I'm drinking um, uh, whiskey tonight. I got some whiskey when I was in Canada, and it is Pike Creek 10-Year Whiskey, and it was aged in rum barrels. So Yeah, you, sh- you sent me a picture of the label. It looks pretty good. I, I When I was in Canada, I'm like, I have to buy some whiskey from Canada, and then I Googled like what was the best brand, and this one was came up a few times. So, But isn't it only called whiskey if it's from... Uh... A certain state? No. I'm thinking this of was, bourbon. Yeah. Kentucky and bourbon. Only bourbon comes from Kentucky, but I guess whiskey can come from anywhere. Okay. Canada whiskey. Eh? Eh. Um, and all those bootleggers. Yeah, you know, so. Whiskey. Um, pro- prohibition. Uh, so tonight we are talking, we're going back in time to the mm-hmm. 70s. But before we go back to the 70s, before we... We jump into the the plethora of films we're going to talk about. Um, let's talk about what we're watching this week. And Audrey, you, I, I look what you wrote down, and and uh, what did you watch this week? I know you you are allowed to be very disappointed in me because apart from research for those podcasts, I didn't watch anything other than finishing season four of Game of Thrones. That was all I had time to do this week. I didn't have time to watch a movie. So let's let's. I, I watched two movies. I watched Enola Holmes and I watched uh, The Little Women, the 2019 version. Yeah, and both were great. I will say Timothy Chalamet is a charming sob man. He is a like. I'm. He's gonna get an Oscar soon. I'm. I'm just curious what yeah. movie it's gonna be. Maybe it'll be Dune. Actually, Who knows? He was really good, actually. Yeah, maybe Dune. He was really good in Lady Bird too. He was, yes. Uh, he was really funny in Lady Bird. I was just like, I've dated a guy exactly like you. So instead of talking about movie we watched, let's talk about, we just had the Emmys last week. We so, did, right. So first off, Schitt's Creek took it all. And this is like, this, this is TV talk right now. So we're going to deviate from movies. But Schitt's Creek set a record of winning every single category for um, for comedy. Yeah. And Succession won some stuff too. Succession did, and I am so happy about it. Um, I believe they won for Best Drama. And then Jeremy Strong won for Best Actor. And Jeremy Strong is such an incredible tour de force. Um, He is going to be in The Trial of the Chicago 7 coming up here as well with Sasha Baron Cohen. And I'm so glad that he's finally getting the recognition that he deserves because um, his character on Succession, Kendall, just has this really incredible character arc. I don't know how much more of Succession you've watched, Corey, but 
his character arc and story is the one to watch through the whole thing. Um, because it, it has no business being as interesting as it is, but it, it's so good. I, from what I've seen of that show and I haven't seen much of it, his character though, like it's very compelling. Like I want to watch the show. I mean, just for him basically at this, I'm like, I mean, I, the whole show is good, but like, he's enough to keep me to it. Um, did you see the father of the bride, uh, s- sequel thing they did for, for, uh, no, that's a, and they did it for, um, for charity, but they, they did um, a quarantine version of the movie. Like, well, it was like half an hour of, like movie, quote unquote. But all the cast got together, all like on Zoom. But like it was produced well and everything. And um, but it kind of continued the story. And like we had all the characters back. And so Steve Martin and Martin Short. And I saw trailers for it, but I haven't seen the Father of the Bride movies. That was a little bit before my time. Really, we'll have to watch those in one of these days. Right. Yeah. So I didn't I saw trailers for it and I know a lot of people tuned in. And then another weird tie-in, Karen Culkin was featured in that, who also plays Roman in succession. So Yes, he was he was young Matt in in the uh, the, the original movies. And we just talked about Father of the Bride a couple weeks ago too, because um the original with Spencer Tracy, you know, from back in the day, that was part right. Of we did just talk about that one. That's true. Yeah, so man, everything it's amazing how like how the webs like all draw back to each other and it all just comes together. I think that's one of the fun parts of this podcast and just seeing how everything kind of just connects the dots for themselves. It's really great. Um mm-hmm. so this week we are heading back to the 46th Academy Awards, which are the films from 1973. We have some really really interesting movies. Um Oh yeah. Uh, for sure uh but let's yeah let's just jump into it um you know what i i'll take the year in review this time audrey i feel like i always put it on you but i'll take it this time uh 1973 lots of cool stuff happening so cbs sells the new york yankees to uh a 12-person syndicate run by george steinbrenner of course um and he became the longest uh standing owner of the yankees until his death in 2010 he bought it for $10 million, which is amazing. And he, I mean, love or hate the guy, he he was a iconoclast in the uh, mm-hmm. in the Yankee, uh, Yankee franchise. I mean, I have no idea who he is, but sure. At the very least, people know him because he was made fun of in Seinfeld so much. Oh, is that, is that what? George's boss. George's, George's boss. boss at the Yankees. Okay. It the makes- guy you never see his face at the back of his head. Okay, it makes sense now. Okay. Um, Aerosmith dropped their debut album. Uh, Elvis Presley's Hawaii concert's the first international broadcast by an entertainer that had more views than the Apollo moon landing, which is amazing. Way to go, that. Elvis. Is that the one like where he was like forgetting lyrics and stuff because he was so out of it? Was that was that? It might have been because we're we're coming up on his later years, aren't we? Yeah, this is probably one of the last. Four years. I think he was, was dead in four years after this. Yeah, I um, wouldn't be surprised. The Miami Dolphins performed the first and only perfect season in NFL history, which means, um, like, I'm guessing, like, victories or ties probably every single game. Um, yeah. Lots of political stuff happening in, in the U.S., of course. Nixon announces the, the peace accord with Vietnam. Um, the United States dollar is devalued by 10%, so really your dollar is is a 90-cent piece yeah, of well. paper. 
Um, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon is released, and people have many conspiracy theories about that with Wizard of Oz. Um, the first handheld mobile phone call is made on a Motorola. That's pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. The World Trade Center is opened. Um, FedEx begins its operations on its way to become the, the powerhouse it is today. Heck yeah. The Sears Tower is the world's tallest building at this point. Um, Secretariat wins the Kentucky Derby. How classy is that? Mm-hmm. We also have, of course, the Watergate scandal, the wonderful, wonderful political um, ordeal that led to the, res- the res- resignation of Richard Nixon as president. Mm-hmm. Um which also meant that Gerald R. Ford became president, and he, Gerald R. Ford, I mean, he was in the he was what Speaker of the House, and then became Vice President, and like yep. sort of sort of like everyone resigning, he let he got he became the president, which is interesting. Yeah, hometown hero. He's from our hometown. Uh, the Battle of the Sexes tennis match, which was portrayed um, by Steve Carell and Emma Watson um, a few years ago. Emma Stone. Uh, I'm sorry, Emma Stone. Yeah, I haven't watched it in a while. Emma Stone. Um, Elton I do John know re- some things. See, yeah, there you go. Elton John releases Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which becomes his most successful album at the time. And it's a great album. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, Miller Light Beer was introduced, and everyone partied in a light fashion. Yes, they, they partied and they were cal- calorie conscious. Calorie conscious and partying hard. And hard. Where they either rejoiced or they were like ill, which is I'm more on the ill side. But so looking at the births this year was really crazy because some people like who are born in the same year, but I don't see them age wise on similar similar um, planes. Yeah, I was looking at this list too. Like what? They're all the same age. So we got Portia de Rossi, Jim Parsons, Adrian Brody, Noel Fielding uh, from. Uh, the Great British Baking Show. And the um, IT crowd. So what? He's in the IT crowd too, which is one of my favorites. Um, Neil Patrick Harris, Juliette Lewis, Kate Beckinsale, Vera Farmia, Kristen Wig, Dave Chappelle, Paul Walker, which seems so weird to me, um, James Marsden, Lena Hetty, and Seth MacFarlane. <sighs> Lena Hetty. Lena Hetty. Percy yes. Lannister fame. Yes. She was also in 300, remember? Uh, I haven't seen 300, but that doesn't surprise me. Um, a couple deaths. We had Edward Robinson, Arthur Freed, Betty Grable, Veronica Lake. Um, your boy Lon Chaney Jr. passed away. Um, Bruce Lee, of course, his was a really big death that year. John Ford and Bobby Darren. Yeah, that was the beginning of the Lee family curse, I believe. That actually makes... Did you ever see the movie that it came out in the 90s? It was about his life, the Bruce Lee story? Um, No, but I just know there's there's weird conspiracies about how he and his son died in very similar ways. Yeah, it's a really interesting movie. Um, doesn't really talk on that. It's more about his life and everything. Okay, but, that um, makes more sense. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the year in film. Let's talk about 1973. Uh, Audrey, take it away. Sure. Um, so the Kung, speaking of Bruce Lee, the Kung Fu film craze um, happens in North America with the film Five Fingers of Death, which is released in the U.S. Um, and also Kim Jong-il releases his film treatise, which is called On the Art of Cinema, and that is still considered the most authoritative work on Korean filmmaking. Um, the movie Westworld is the first to use digital image processing. Yes, that Westworld that inspired the HBO series. I looked it up. It's accurate. 
one of our films becomes one of the highest grossing films of all time and another reawakens a genre. Um, this is also the year that Laura Dern and Stan Lee made their film debuts. It is a very, very good time to be a movie in 73. Mm -hmm. um, and the good news is, too, is that The Godfather is not in contention because The Godfather 2 comes out the next year. And The Godfather sure. 1 was the year previous. So they're, we get a break. So we get a break. From Michael Corleone. Well, yeah, we do. I mean, but the funny thing that we'll, we'll get to this later, but um, Al Pacino and Marlon Brando were still making some some baller movies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we have the highest uh, the highest grossing film of this year received uh, $88.5 million in the box office. And then number 10 on the list received $15 million. So that's a big margin of error for, or a big margin between those two. Um, with like the top three, which were all Oscar contenders this year, they really raked in a lot. And then after like number four, it's more like in the 20 millions which is kind of interesting that they raked in so much. And then the rest of the top 10 are like 22, 22, 20, 16. Yeah. It's really interesting. Uh, a lot. Yeah. The disparity uh, from the top to the bottom. Yeah. So the ceremony takes us back to 1974 as, as with every Academy Awards, it's always the year after the, the films. Um, this year, we're April 2nd, 1974. We're back at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion and we have some new hosts this year. Audrey, Ooh. thank you. <laughs> and Audrey made sure I gave me some phonetics in this because I always mess it up. Um, we have Burt Reynolds, Diana Ross, John Houston. There we David go. Ivan. For those of you who've listened to the podcast, you know that I can, I always say want to say John Huston. Or I mean, Angelica I get Huston. it. That's how it's spelled. Like, I made that mistake before, like a, for a long time before I actually heard someone say that family's name and I was like oh it's not Huston yes so there were some notable events this year at the ceremony so uh the first which of which there's um Groucho Marx you know the the legendary uh eyebrows and glasses and cigar uh he got uh, an honorary academy award for his contribution to cinema Catherine Hepburn made her first and only appearance at the ceremony to give her friend uh, Lawrence Weingarten the Irving Thalberg Memorial Award. Uh, whenever she won an Oscar, she always had either the presenter or another person associated with the film accepted on her behalf. At 10 years of age, or 10 years, 148 days of age, Tatum O'Neill became the best supporting actress for her role in Paper Moon alongside her father, um, Ryan O'Neill. The movie, I don't know if you've seen this movie, kind of has like. Um, I always think of Curly Sue when I watch it, like the it's like grifter, you know, and little precocious yeah. little kid. Um, and she became the youngest winner uh, of an Oscar and a, a feat that has been um, unmatched to this day. Though Kramer and Kramer did get close because of the young the young boy in that. Yeah, and he was um, eight, so he would have mm -hmm. broken the record. But and with best supporting actor John Houseman winning um, at 71 years old this was the biggest age gap ever for two wins which is really wow. cool to think about um Glenda Jackson became the first to and to date only actor to win multiple Oscars without showing up to collect any of them and she had won uh the best actress for a touch of class um, mm -hmm. This was actually her third nomination in four years and her second win, which is really impressive when you think about it. I yeah. mean, that's that's like Jennifer Lawrence winning or Saoirse Ronan, like if she had one, like winning consecutively. 
Um, The Best Picture nomination, Cries and Whispers, which was an Ingmar Bergman film. It was the fourth non-English speaking film to be up for big for Best Picture, and now we finally have a non-English speaking film, um, Parasite, win Best Picture, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. Um, and of course, the ceremony is most remembered uh, for the streaking incident, oh. in which the streaker Robert Opal ran across the stage naked while flashing a peace sign with his hands. And of course, this is during you know the Watergate in the Vietnam. This is all yep. that the the. The idealist hippies versus, like you know, the the hard conservative values. I guess you could say. Yeah, it was um, a whole thing. Do you want to hear how he did it? I want you to tell me how he did it. Yeah. So, okay, jury is out. So I'll tell you both of the ways that he could have done it. So the first is he allegedly snuck backstage, posing as a journalist, and he darted across the stage while Niven was announcing Liz Taylor. So a he could have done it that way. Scenario B. Some speculate that this may have been a stunt orchestrated by the show producer and not just spontaneous. So maybe it was all a stunt. Um, I read up a little bit about who exactly Robert Opal was. And he was a really well-known photographer and art gallery owner. Um, and he was also an activist throughout his life. Uh, his unfortunately very short life. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, he later tried running for president in 1976 with the slogan, wait for it, not just another crooked dick. (laughs) And of course, it's because Richard Nixon was known as Dick, not for any other reason or connotation. Um, Robert was uh, tragically murdered in 1979 when one of his art galleries was robbed. Uh, a very freak accident. Uh, but when this happened uh, in 1973 or in the 46th Academy Award ceremony, uh, host David Niven kind of acted on his feet and he jokingly quipped, the only laugh that man will ever get in his life is by stripping off and showing his shortcomings. Yes. Yeah. David, David Niven is a class act. Um, he was in, gosh, he was in the guns of Navarone, which we watched a couple, mm-hmm. a couple of, I always say a couple episodes back, but it was more than a couple. However many, um, however long we've been doing this thing, right? It's it's amazing. Where this is, this is this will be our twenty four. This is our twenty fourth episode. Hey, it's as old as me. There you go. I guess. So let's talk about sure. the movies um, for this year. Mm-hmm. So, but without before we get into like the big winners, the big contenders, let's talk about some controversy. So Always. we have. We have Marlon Brando, who last the year prior he refused his Oscar um, for his portrayal of Vito Corleone in The Godfather. Um, this year he was nominated again for Best Actor for the film Last Tango in Paris. And for those of you who don't know, The Last Tango in Paris is actually a super controversial film. Um, it was directed by Bernard, Bernardo Bertolucci, and the movie is essentially about a uh, an old older man like and a younger girl. Um, and the movie is known for its very graphic sex scenes. Um, when it first dropped, the movie was received an X rating, and then by Ooh. the time it, it got to 1981, it just got a rated R rating. But some very explicit sex scenes, one in particular involving a very interesting use of butter. Okay. I mean, um, and there there was a scene like where there was a very uh, aggressive sex scene, and um, 
it uh, the, the the poor actress uh, Maria Schneider mm -hmm. she was was very scarred by it. Um, yeah, and it actually it really it really did a, a piece of work on her. Um, uh, she felt very violated by both Marlon Brando and the director because it was it felt very real and Marlon Brando didn't really be Marlon Brando he didn't really try to apologize or comfort her or anything and so she very much felt very um, hurt by that and I think that really uh, scarred her in a lot of ways unfortunately yeah. and that's, she that's never really she never really opened up about it until much later in 2007 where she talked about it and she was like. It wasn't in the script, so she wasn't expecting it to happen. And, like, Marlon Brando was telling her, like, don't worry, it's just a movie. But she said, like, even though what Marlon was doing wasn't real, like, she was crying real tears because it was so humiliating. And Mar Marlon is pretty method, I mean, so you got to know that, like, he probably, I don't think he straight up, like, you know, did bad stuff, but I mean, but come but on, he, man. he, he probably took it right to the, right to the edge, um, come on. Which, is, which is hard. Um, speaking of the Godfather though, Al Pacino, uh, the year before had a nomination. And then this year he also had a nomination. Um, so his second nomination within two years and really mm. like his early, his early years, he had, um, dog the afternoon, Godfather one, Godfather two, Serpico. Um, yeah. Another one I'm forgetting, but yeah, he was he was a force back in the day. And then Jack Nicholson was also nominated this year for Best Actor, and this was his third nomination in five years. Man, they're all just on a roll. They are. Um, and it is worth mentioning that one of the movies that uh, was our, our big winner of the night, uh, Jack Nicholson was offered a role in, and he turned it down because he wanted to be um in the in the film he was nominated for which is of course um the last detail so i mean i i don't know if jack would have got any he would have won because he chose the other role i don't know we'll talk about this movie a little bit later on mm -hmm. um yeah let's have you talk about the first real real big contender of this of this um this year that we both watched let's talk about american graffiti audrey take it away yeah the first one is american graffiti which is romance racing and rock and roll and i've heard it from the grapevine Corey, that this is one of your favorite coming of age movies yes and we even talked about it in the uh, that episode we did a while back with coming of age films this was one of my my bops uh, i love it so much yeah um, hence the grapevine that's the grapevine i heard it from Yes. Also, um, our show notes, but that's okay. Yes, that's all good. But yeah, this was George Lucas's tale of nostalgia. You know, a sock hops and um, uh, and uh, uh, Buddy Holly, and uh, mm -hmm. it's like the theme of this movie was "Where were you in '62?" Yeah, um, a lot of this, and this was this was pre Star Wars George Lucas. Sorry, yeah, I'm like who joking. knew that like. He he would make this movie, and then a matter of years later, like he would go on to become to create the beloved treasure that is Star Wars. That's amazing, yeah. And yeah. this movie, um, it's really interesting too because uh, when he was younger, he didn't want to be like a drag racer, and he was really obsessed with cars. And that, and he actually, George Lucas was in a, a car accident when he was younger that it was it was it almost killed him. I mean, he was in the hospital for a long time trying to recover, and that kind of dashed his hopes of becoming a racer. So. Mm -hmm. But before this, he had tried his hand with sci-fi um, with very little success earlier in the 70s. The It's called THX um, something. 11, 77? 
Yeah, something like that. Um, But the inspiration for American Graffiti came to him uh, from his memories cruising through Modesto, California during his high school days in the 60s. Um, And this movie was kind of a way that he wanted to help people escape from the stressors of the time. Like Vietnam was wrapping up and then we had Watergate and all that garbage. And just think back to the 60s sock hops and picking up chicks in their deuce coops. It's also cool to think about all the actors that are in this film that went on to do stuff. So um, obviously you have Ron Howard. Ronnie Howard. Of Andy Griffith, of Happy Days, of all these good things. Mm -hmm. And now he's he's an Academy Award winning uh, filmmaker himself. Mm Mm-hmm. His daughter is in Jurassic World. Um, yeah, she's uh, got a name for herself. Yeah, she's got a name for herself, too. Uh, this was one of his first adult roles. You have Harrison Ford, of course. Harrison Ford oh, plays yeah. plays Bob Falfa, the, the jerk with the with the brim hat in a sweet race car. Um, you have uh, future Oscar winner Richard Dreyfus. You have mm-hmm. Cindy Williams, who was eventually in Laverne and Shirley. And then, of course, you have Candy Clark, who played Debbie in the movie. Um, and she was nominated this year for Best Supporting Actress. Um, it's just a really feel-good movie. Like, it's very fun. and Yeah. Um, it just, it's just got good vibes. I, I enjoy it. And I was, I was surprised it was so beloved, um, being, like, finding the movie way after it came out, obviously. But it is pretty beloved. So... Those are some good vibes. Yeah, we have The Way We Were, um, which was, and we're talking about this one not because we watched it necessarily, but because of the movie, um, because it did have a lot of nominations. It had six nominations and only two wins. Um, and this movie actually was was one of the, the, the disparity between winners was, was from like eight down to two. So this was one of those ones that won too. But it was both it won for music, so it won for dramatic score, and then the best song for the way we were by the Martin way Hamlish. We were. But it beat out "Live and Let Die," which is, is like wild. But the way we were is a really beautiful song. Like it's very it, sad. It is, but like "Live and Let Die," I mean, that is kind of a classic. Now it is do, such do, a do 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 do. That's the one, right? Um, Live and let die. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm right about that. Yes. But this movie, um, this gave Barbara Streisand, um, Robert Redford's on it too, but it gave Barbara Streisand some of the best reviews of her uh, career and her second Oscar nomination since her debut in Funny Girl. And Robert Redford was in this one. Um, but it was also another, f- but he actually was nominated for another film this year. Um, the whole concept of Way We Were, though, is about two people who love each other, but they have ambitions and they also have different political views. So that'd be kind of cool to translate like in today's time. I'm always thinking of, with movies about how we could bring them back. I know I always complain about remakes and like reboots, yeah. but political I like issues when... are an issue for a lot of people in relationships. I can relate. That's happened to me before. I'd be really curious to see like um, a movie like that. I mean, maybe too divisive right now, like where you have somebody who's conservative and liberal. Um, and make them like a couple that would be interesting though i mean i dated a bernie bro there you go no Um, comment (laughs) 
So, um, Audrey, we, we have two films this year that were really probably the two that that were going to be in contention for a lot, a lot of the, the ceremony. Um, but I want to have you start this conversation because I'm, yeah, I just, please, yeah. please talk about this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will start with a movie that has scarred both me and Corey for life. Um, let me set the scene for you. So this was last Monday evening, I think. It was either Monday or Tuesday evening. And I sent you a text and I said, Corey, I'm watching The Exorcist. Uh. <laughs> and you were like, thank you for taking one for the team. And then I got like halfway through the movie and I was like, Corey, if I need to watch this, so do you. So you're like, okay. I will. And I was like, thank you, because I can't do this alone. So, yes, I watched it. I watched it actually yesterday, not yesterday afternoon, because I, there was no way I was going to watch it at nighttime. Not that I'm like a that wussy. Was a better idea than what I did. I'm not a wussy by any means, but like I don't do horror. So I had to watch this movie in broad daylight. I sent my son and my wife out of the house. I'm like, go play for a couple hours. Like they went to the beach. Like I gotta watch this movie. I gotta get. I gotta grit through it and just you know, um, yeah. So like I, a lot of times it's usually you and I who've like, one of us has seen it or one of us has to watch it. And so this is what like was a first for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we texted each other our uh, reactions in real time. So that was really fun. Um, yes. Yeah. So let's talk about The Exorcist. Um, so The Exorcist was arguably a phenomenon of movie making and movie marketing. Um, that's because the first trailer they released was so scary that it had to be taken out of circulation in movie theaters. Um, and it only featured the flashing images of the subliminal white face demon that shows up throughout the film, like a blink and you miss it kind of moment. And yeah, that's hecka scary. I told you there were two moments where I jumped watching the movie and that was one of them during the dream sequence and it's just that one subliminal shot and I was like oh I, I didn't see it coming um so the Linda Blair was 14 at the time she played Reagan and um her nomination or she was nominated for best supporting actress um but as we already talked about she wasn't even the youngest one this year the other one was 10 years old and was the winner um, Linda Blair did all of the acting, of course, but she did not do her deep and creepy demon voice because she's only 14. Um, the woman who provided the demon voice never actually met Linda, but she got super into character for those voiceovers. Uh, she chain smoked, she ate and barfed up raw eggs for the, the pea soup scene. Um, and she even drank whiskey when she was a recovering alcoholic. Uh, she actually had like a priest on site while she was recording these lines and I didn't include this in the show notes but she literally bound herself to a chair while she was recording her lines to make it sound like she was the demon like struggling with the bond the the bonds uh inside the bedroom like she's kind of trussed up to that bed she, she went like straight like method then she went so method and you don't even see her face but that's I mean, amazing I mean part of the movie is how scary her voice is. So like she did a great job with that. Um, and Linda, actually the, the girl who actually played Reagan got a lot of death threats because people saw her role as glorifying Satan. 
which I don't think that was the point of the movie. But obviously this movie was really controversial. Most definitely. Um, you know, I mean, the movie got was released. You know, when if if you I watched the trailers because I wanted to see like what they were going to show in the trailers before watching the movie, and they just show very little. They just like make like very flashes of things, you know, and they show a lot of effects. And um, that's one thing to say about this movie too is the effects they used were were great for the nineteen for nineteen seventy three. Yeah. Everything was everything was practical except for the part where the girl's head's going three sixty. Yeah, that's that's not practical at all. She would admit that she learned how to contort her head. That's in no way practical. Um, the movie, though, while it had ten nominations, um, it only got two wins, and that was for um, screenplay and for uh, for video. Or for I'm sorry, not <laughs> for screenplay and for best sound. Um, okay, but the movie the movie was impactful because when it dropped. People in theaters, um, were like were throwing up and getting like nauseous and fainting while watching the movie. Yeah, a lot of it was actually those subliminal scenes that were freaking people out, and there was more of those in the director's cut. Um, my take on it is that it is scary. I was scared by it. It was more creepy. It wasn't like I'm scared every second because something's jumping out at me. I think it was probably a lot scarier when it came out because it was so new to everyone because now all of those scenes are very like pop culture and overdone. Like, you know, the pea soup thing, like we all know that. And like the whole, like the power of Christ compels you. Like it's not as scary now because we've made it kind of a joke. For me, like you say that, you know, it was just freaky for me. It was, it was hard for me to turn off my brain and get those images out of my head. Like, mm-hmm. because I'm trying not to think about it before bedtime. I'm like, I'm like, it's going to have nightmares. So in my head, like everything just lingered, like everything yeah. about the movie just. Like, there are oh, a lot I'm... of images uh, ingrained in my head. Um, especially for me, it's the body at the bottom of the stairs without, without doing too many spoilers. That was a creepy, like just shot of that. Yeah. Right. Um, and yep, this movie did inspire some satanic panic. Um, of course, it included scenes, you know, the desecration of Saint Mary, where the the priest walks in, and there's that whole like whatever that obscene thing is. Um, Reagan and her mom use a Ouija board, which is arguably how the demon gets into their house. I think that's kind of what they were trying to imply. Um, and then the whole thing with um, uh. Max von Sydow going to like the Middle East and finding the tomb with the demon stuff. Um, so a lot of sat- satanic panic. Um, and please, 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 let's never talk about that that scene ever in the history of ever. We all know. No, you know. If you don't, you don't. If you're wondering what scene, think about the one scene that makes you go, "Oh my goodness!" That's the scene we're talking about because I'm pretty sure everyone. No matter how bad, like, that is, like. If you know, you know. If you don't know, you don't want to know. So we're going to leave it at that. Um, But when the movie was released, like you said earlier, Corey, people physically reacted in theaters. Like, it it was pretty wild. They actually had exorcist barf bags. (laughs) Which I'm like, okay, guys, like, like lean into, yeah, lean into it totally and market the crap out of it. You know, that's like. Really smart on their part, I guess, you know. Here's I mean, the bag for your pea soup. 
<laughs> Free pea soup as you walk in. <laughs> ew, ew, no. Oh my goodness, no. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, think about how many films have actually created like physical reactions for people like in theaters. Like there's a lot more of them nowadays than there were back then, but right. I mean 127 hours, you think of Blair Witch. You think of Passion of the Christ. What's the one they just did with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, The Walk, where he walks between the two towers? Oh, really? The World People Trade Center. To that one? People were saying like like the the shots were making them like have like vertigo and like. You know what? That would freak me out too because I don't like heights. But yeah, and then of course you know your boy Lon Chaney, mm-hmm. nineteen twenty-five Family of the Opera. People were freaking out about that one too. His makeup was so terrifying that people fainted when they saw it most yeah it was so wild um just just out there mm-hmm. and he, especially back in the day yeah people just weren't used to people it now were like you know they weren't used to that elaborate of makeup and we all know lon cheney was very he was very into makeup man of a thousand faces um for his role in phantom of the opera he used wires to open his eyes that wide like he fully he used wires to prop his eyes open um and he also like he washed his eyes with like egg whites to make them more like filmy like homeboy got into it and probably affected his health so probably more than a little bit i I would say that's pretty accurate right i mean he was amazing but at what cost but even though the end the exorcist i mean We've talked about this a lot, especially with um, with our recent conversation about the snubs too. Is that the movies are always interesting to see with, like, with The Exorcist, how this was the first horror film to ever be really nominated for Academy Awards. Yeah, and obviously we still haven't really. I mean, we'll kind of get one later on with Silence of the Lambs, but I mean, there's always the one movie to get like in the circle, and then there's the next movie. Like they kind of set the they they got. The foot in the in the top five, you know, top ten best picture um, nomination, and then created the path for someone else to uh, to walk in and, and win eventually. Um, but yeah, it was it was amazing. And this, the, again, again, the, the effects of that film were great. Um, I mean, I don't know how much Linda Blair actually did. There was a scene like where she's like straight up like flapping like back and forth mm-hmm. on the bed. Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't know if that's her or if that's like, I don't know. I know I read a little bit about it and I know a lot of it was like rigging. Um, And I know she did a lot of practice for that too. Um, But I don't remember exactly like what scenes she actually did and then what scenes were not actually her. Yeah. And then I I texted you last night too, but Max von Sydow, like they aged him. You told me they aged him for the makeup. Mm -hmm. He was only 40 when when they filmed this. They were pretty spot on with that makeup. They kind of were. Now, I was I like, mean, that's Max von Sydow when he died. That's, I mean, like, him. he died bald, but that was the only thing they didn't miss about him, like, as an old man. I was like, wow, this is creepy. Like, this yeah. is really, really well done. But, I like yeah. his character. R.I.P. Sorry, spoiler alert. He, he died a <laughs> heart attack because it's too much for him. A lot of people die in that movie. Yeah. Um, Demi, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Don't give me nightmares. Come on, man. Um, um, <laughs> you're any something in your attacory? Have well, the lamb stopped screaming? I thought I heard some noises upstairs watching the movie, and I don't want to like freak myself. I was like, what? Like, what's going on? I actually walked upstairs and like turned lights on to make sure like nothing was happening. I get it. I live in an old house, and 
every time I wake up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I always turn a light on. It's I just have to because I just get scared really easily. And also, my my hardwood floors are so creaky that sometimes if I'm like taking a step in the living room, the yeah. floorboard in the kitchen will creak. So oh. then I'm like, who is there? But it's it's literally just me. Man. So we're all a little bit scared of everything. That's all right, though, because it ain't really. I mean, it's it's real depending on who you talk to, but it's not really real. So you're good. Um but yeah, so the movie that won big, that won, that had 10, 10 nominations and seven wins was The Sting. It involved no pea soup whatsoever. No pea soup. Um, but it was a really good con movie, a good heist oh, slash con movie. It's just fun. Like, I was always surprised because the movie, it, like, seems very, like, fluffy, for lack of a yeah. better word. Like, it doesn't take itself seriously by any means, and I think that's what's surprising about, like, why it won Best Picture, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's so lighthearted, but it's also not, I don't know. Um, but, it, yeah, it won seven Oscars. It won Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, um, Song Scoring slash Adaptation, uh, mm-hmm. Costume Design, uh, Editing and Art Direction. Yeah. So with this Best Picture win, though, Julia Phillips became the first female producer to win an Oscar, which, like, hey, go girl power, you know? That's good for her. For sure. Yeah, way to go. Um, Newsweek uh, joked this movie was reuniting one of the best romantic couples, which was, of course, Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Romance, y'all. I mean, you gotta love that Butch and Sundance. Yeah, they they do got they have they work some magic together. They, just, they got that chemistry that you typically find in a romance. You can't help it. Can we also talk about um, how Robert Redford looks like Brad Pitt in that movie? Yeah, he like, really he had some Brad Pitt face. Like he was like handsome guy back in the day. I think he I think he's gotten some work done in in later years, but he he was a handsome guy. He was a good looking cat. Yeah, especially like for the, the that thirties vibe, like his yeah. his comb back hair, man. He was a stud. But I mean Paul um, Newman was always like really good looking too. Like even into his his age, I always thought yeah. like he had that very like rugged, rugged kind of handsome going on. I, I feel like they might have aged him a little bit for this movie because he wasn't that old, uh, you right. know ten years earlier doing the hustler. So um, but so co hosts of the evening, Burt Reynolds called uh Redford and Newman, the greatest romantic team since Bogart and McCall. They said not they said not as romantic, but prettier. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And earlier we talked about Jack Nicholson pass, passing on a role. Um, he was offered Robert Redford's role in this film. That's the movie he, hmm. he passed on ultimately. That would have been interesting to see him in that role because he definitely would have played it differently, I feel like. Yeah. Because like his pers- here's personality is a little bit more snake oily than Robert Redford. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. He, he would have been more, um, more shady, less charming, I would say. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. But yeah. Um, you know, the movie, like, like I said, it feels like a fluff piece about thirties, thirties con men trying to avenge a fallen friend. Um, but you know, with, with all the, the turmoil with Vietnam getting over and, just the world as it was with Watergate and everything. It seems like maybe this is the movie everyone needed just to feel better and feel good about stuff, um, mm-hmm. which is good, you know. Um, 
but I want you to chime on this too because director George Royhill, um, he was trying to keep a really unique thirties feel to this film, which I think was great. Yeah, he even he he went so far as to transition shots as they would look in the nineteen thirties, uh, which I think is kind of a nod to nineteen thirties filmmaking. Um, and you also just gotta love that jo- that Scott Joplin adapted score, like the Entertainer. Yes. Oh man, it's just it was the perfect way to the the way to score that movie with that background. Um, and I think there are some other Scott Joplin tunes that were used as well, but the entertainer is the one that's known. And, uh, when that, when that came out, the, the sting, um, sales for like Scott Joplin sheet music and music went up like for the first time since like the 1910s when Scott Joplin was actually alive. Um, which is cool. Like I love the ragtime genre. It's it's like the early stages of jazz in the United States, and it's it's just really cool to see what what we've evolved from. So I was just really happy when this when they used Scott Joplin music because he was amazing. I, I actually have the soundtrack on vinyl, like the the score, the, the the sting a sting on vinyl, which is great. It's so fun. That's legit. Um, but yeah, it's just a really it's a really fun movie. It's um. The plot's a little complicated. Like you gotta be listening to kind of know where yeah. you're going with it and everything. But it was just fun, you know. And it's kind of it's one of those like kind of like false endings, like how is it going to end, sort of thing. Yeah. But I really would, I really wouldn't mind. I, I always talk about like movies and how they could relate to modern times. But you could totally make this movie like. You could do George Clooney and Brad Pitt in a. I mean, it's <laughs> basically. I mean, it's basically Ocean's Eleven, but I mean, you know, it's like is. it's like they're they're like George Clooney. What's his name? And uh, Frank, not Frank Ocean. Danny, Danny Ocean. Danny Ocean. It's like Danny Ocean's like great great or like great grandfather. Right. So and then like the grandson goes on to do all of these heists. Or they could just set an Oceans movie in the 1930s. That'd be pretty cool. Where it's like Danny Ocean, Daniel G. Ocean the first or something. Dan- Daniel Oceanson? Like a land prospector or something in the Wild West. I would, I'd pay money to see that. They're coming to Ellis Island like as immigrants. <laughs> they have to like, he has to like change his name because it's too complicated. So he changed like it to Ocean. It's like Oceanowski or something like that. Oceanowski. <laughs> Oceanberg. Oceanberg. I don't want anyone to know that I'm poet. But yes, it's 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 a really good um great heist kind of heist con movie in that genre. And mm-hmm. um I'm really happy it won. It just felt it felt very right. So yeah. let's 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 close up our thoughts here for the night um with with the with the 46th Academy Awards. So um best picture of the sting i do Mm -hmm. think that one should have won um yeah i'm right there with you i mean exorcist exorcist was really really innovative um but i yeah it just it it was too much i think at the time um yeah i would have given best director to william friedkin for the exorcist yes um just because of his choices and um again establishing the genre of like what modern horror looks like now um 
which was incredibly shocking to people at the time. But now it's like, we've seen this happen before. Um, so I think I would have opted for him instead of George mm -hmm. Roy Hill for the sting. But we, as we know, like the director and best picture tend to go hand in hand. So it, it made sense. Yeah. I, um, I really loved Al Pacino and Serpico and I kind of wanted him to win the best picture or best actor for that one. Um, and then I, Barbara Streisand, the way we were, was really great, but I really think Ellen Burstyn should have won for Exorcist. She yeah, was, she was she really was so heartbreaking. Great. Like everything she did in the movie was so great. Um, yeah, she was, she really played that part really well. And like my heart was breaking for her the whole time. And I, I even think that, um, that Damien, uh, that, not Damien, Jason Miller, who played Damien Karras, Demi, uh, yeah. Should have won for Exorcist as best supporting actor. He was great. I I agree. Um, to me, oh, there is a joke. Isn't there a joke in the the movie where the inspector says that he looks like um, who does he says you say he looks like? So, oh my gosh, I, don't, I forget who he said, but yeah, I don't to me, he looks a little bit like Sylvester Stallone. Um, not exactly, but he a little bit. He, yeah, he uses that, that vibe a little bit, definitely. Especially since he's kind of a tough guy at some point. Um, yeah, Tatum O'Neill was great in, in Paper Moon. Um, I don't know, Linda Blair, though. Linda she, Blair was really good. Honestly, I'd give it to Candy Clark for American Graffiti mm -hmm. just because I love that movie. I love that role. Her, her role is just so fun in that movie. Um, and then, of course, um, best screenplay for... Um, adapted and um, uh, original Sting and Exorcist, yeah, definitely. Um, as much as I love American yeah. Graffiti, I, I got and I got to give it to both those guys. So, yeah, I agree. I think it was a really a really interesting year, um, you know, and yeah, a very eclectic mixture of films that were contenders this year. Maybe next year for our, for uh, because we're approaching Halloween. Maybe next year we should do like a. Uh, a look at like the the innovation does it took like to get to the horror genre so i mean going from like let's start with like lon cheney era fan of the opera i mean that was obviously before the oscars but look at like those early era like horror films even like psycho yeah. and then look at how we can trace the line all the way to get out becoming a best picture contender yeah i think there's a lot there let's we can do we can it you it. heard it here first folks so maybe next Halloween, um, because obviously we we did Halloween Essentials yeah last week, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that that for us is the the forty sixth Academy Awards, nineteen seventy three in a nutshell. Thank you guys for tuning in. It's uh, we raise our glass to you uh, because Cheers. you are wonderful for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Don't play with Ouija boards. <laughs>